Hey listeners, welcome back to Shades of Crime. Oftentimes on this show, I talk about individuals who have drug addictions or work in the sex industry, and the main reason I do that is because the stigma surrounding these two things alienates people. With less people advocating for justice, these cases go unsolved. The cases I'll be talking to you about today encompass both sex work and drug addiction. One man claims responsibility for these two murders, yet the crimes remain unsolved. So now, what I need to know is what happened to Douglas Edgett and Cheryl Pine. Get ready, because things are about to get shady. Brunswick is a province that you haven't often heard about on this podcast. It's in Atlantic Canada and it borders Quebec and Nova Scotia. While it has quite a bit of scenic beauty and charm, it's pretty much viewed as the odd one out in the Atlantic provinces, and the rest of Canada sees it as separate, much like all other Atlantic provinces. Due to these factors, New Brunswick is easily forgotten about, and honestly, I don't find myself thinking about what goes on there very often. But maybe I should think about it more. While the unsolved murders in New Brunswick don't reach the levels of Nova Scotia, there are a fair amount of cold cases in need of attention. And these two murders are just some of the many cold cases of this province. Douglas Edgett grew up in Moncton, New Brunswick. In his early years, he was always a good kid. He focused on school, and then once he was old enough, he spent all of his time working. He didn't go out much. He much preferred to stay home and then go to work. This cycle was fulfilling to him, and all he really needed was these basic comforts and to spend time with his family. Family was crucial in Douglas's life, so when his father passed away, Douglas took it very hard. When his dad died... Douglas fell into a deep depression. He fell off of his regular work schedule, and everything in his life began spinning out of control. It was at this point that Douglas began using drugs to fill the void inside of him, and soon the drugs became central in his life. Douglas fell in with a rough crowd of people while he was using, and it was this group that began supplying him with the drugs he used in his day-to-day -day life. In February of 1991, Douglas made a formal report to the police about an assault against him. The charges went through, and on February 21st, he was due to appear in court to testify against the assailant. The night prior to his court date, Douglas went out with a few friends. They went to a local bar in Moncton, and later in the evening, some unknown acquaintances showed up at the bar. Douglas, one of his friends, and two other men left the bar and got into a car. They then drove off, heading out of town. When the next afternoon came, the court session commenced. But soon the trial was delayed, because Douglas was a no-show. Since Douglas was adamant about these charges being carried forward, this seemed incredibly strange to his family and the people handling his assault case. So that very day, he was reported missing. 
On February 23rd, a man was riding his snowmobile along a wooded trail next to the Pacific Coast Line Road just outside of Moncton. While on his ride, he came upon a grisly sight. The snowmobiler found a dead body face down in the snow, surrounded by blood. When the man approached, he noticed that whoever the guy was, he had been shot in the head. So the man hopped back on his snowmobile to get to the nearest home to contact the police. When the police arrived on the scene, they collected the body and took it to the coroner's office. The body was determined to be Douglas Edgett. He had been shot three times, once in the head, once in the chest, and once in his groin. Based on the blood at the scene, investigators concluded that he had likely been slain at the location his body was found. Initial thoughts naturally went to his death being potentially related to his court case against the man who assaulted him. The timing of Douglas's death was very coincidental if it wasn't related to the case. When investigators looked into it, they found that there was no way to conclusively link this death to the case, but that conclusion came with another theory, one tied to his drug usage. Investigators started off by trying to see if anyone had seen Douglas on the night he was murdered. That's when they heard about his excursion to the bar and the group he was with. One person stood out in the group, and that was David Joseph Ouellette. This man was a known drug dealer, and he was also known to frequently supply Douglas with his drugs. Ouellette was a friend of Douglas's, and he was known to have a volatile temperament. But there was a major issue. There was not enough evidence left at the crime scene to link Ouellette or really anyone to the murder. Investigators also had no clue who the acquaintances described by the bartender were, so it seemed they may have an idea of who was responsible, but there also seemed to be multiple culprits and very little evidence to hold anyone accountable for this murder. So that's where things remained. With lots of suspicion and minimal evidence, slowly the case fell out of the public view. Years went by with no movement on the case, and things were really starting to look bleak until a woman, who also had associations with Ouellette, vanished from Moncton. Cheryl Pine was a sex worker living in Moncton, New Brunswick. In 2004, Cheryl was well acquainted with Ouellette because at this time she was addicted to drugs and received her supply from him. On June 30th of 2004, Cheryl started getting ready to head out. She planned on getting her drugs and then spending some time with Ouellette. She was picked up from her apartment and headed to his home. And this was the last time anyone ever saw Cheryl again. Just one year later, Cheryl's mother was murdered just outside of Moncton, leaving her with no closure on what happened to her daughter. While it is strange that Cheryl's mother was murdered just a year after her daughter disappeared, these cases seem to be full of unlikely coincidences, because her murder is not considered to have any link to the disappearance of Cheryl. While Cheryl and her mother's case are unlinked, investigators were quick to draw connections between Cheryl's disappearance and the now 13-year-old murder case of Douglas Edgett. And each one of these connections were all linked through one person. David Ouellette. In 2007, investigators felt that they had enough evidence to lay charges against Ouellette. So they did, and he was arrested on the deaths of Cheryl and Douglas. At this point, Ouellette was already in prison, serving time for a violent assault on another individual, which carried a 10-year sentence. 
When these charges were brought up against him, Ouellette had seven years remaining in his sentence. The evidence gathered by investigators was deemed sufficient to stand trial, and the hearings were set to occur on April 1st of 2009. In the time leading up to the trial, investigators were making frequent visits to Ouellette in hopes of dredging up more information on these cases, which were distinctly lacking in conclusive evidence. With persistent pressure, investigators were able to gather two potential locations of Cheryl Pine's body, either in Halifax, Nova Scotia, or Sackville, New Brunswick. When this information was gathered, snow was heavily blanketing the rural areas which Ouellette described as the potential locations, which made it impossible to efficiently scour those areas. The trial date was rapidly approaching, and by the time April 1st had arrived, the investigative team still hadn't been able to access the areas. Due to this, prosecutors grew concerned that the case would be too circumstantial and requested a deferral of the case. This was granted, and the new court date was set to be April 23rd of 2009. By that time, the snow had mostly cleared, and search teams were set out in the described areas. With days of searching, not a single trace of pine was located. The trial was again approaching, and the prosecution knew that they couldn't push off the case any further, so they modified the charges. When court began on April 23rd, Ouellette was being charged with second-degree murder of Douglas and the manslaughter of Cheryl. During those trials, the information that hadn't made it out to the public finally came forward and people got to know what actually happened to Cheryl Pine. The night that Cheryl had gone out to visit Ouellette, she arrived at his home and shot up heroin. Following shooting up, Cheryl headed into the washroom. While she was standing in the washroom looking into the mirror, she collapsed to the ground. Ouellette went to see what was going on and ended up administering CPR to Cheryl, and she got up and seemed perfectly fine after. Later that evening, Cheryl took another hit. Right after this, Ouellette turned to her and began to strangle her. He pressed on her throat until she stopped breathing and carried her body to the bathtub. He called up a friend and brought them over to help deal with Cheryl's body. Him and his friend began to dismember her in the tub, but it was apparently too difficult, so they took her body and drove out to the woods in either rural Nova Scotia, near Halifax, or rural New Brunswick, near Sackville. When they were in the woods, they finished dismembering Cheryl and left the parts of her scattered in one or both of these locations. Ouellette claims that he did this because he thought Cheryl was going to overdose after taking the second hit of heroin. I find this statement kind of confusing if he supposedly resuscitated her after she collapsed the first time, and a few pieces just don't add up. But this is the story we were given. After hearing what Ouellette had to say, the jury left to determine his sentencing. The jury returned after only a short deliberation with a guilty verdict on both charges. While the judge was reading the sentence, Ouellette stuck up his middle finger and waved it at the jurors and the judge. Throughout the entire trial, Ouellette was entirely emotionless and was cold while describing the murders of these two people. Based on the evidence, Ouellette was given a life sentence without the possibility of parole for 15 years. While this conviction was a little victory to the investigative team and to Douglas and Cheryl's family members, there was still unanswered questions in both cases. 
Investigators strongly believe that there are multiple people involved in the murder of Douglas, and to this day, Cheryl's body has never been recovered. No traces of her have been found, she's just gone. Investigators also never got to find out who assisted Ouellette in dismembering Cheryl's body. Ouellette claims that the man that had assisted him died just a couple years after he had helped him. Obviously, Ouellette deserves to be behind bars for the things he has done, but it feels so unresolved when there may be other people who belong there with him. Douglas Eckett's case is still listed as unsolved on the RCMP cold case page, and it will remain there until any other people responsible for his death are brought to justice. Cheryl's case has been formally closed, because as far as arrests are concerned, the man responsible had been captured and arrested for the crime. So that's where all of this ends off. This is a case that may have a bit more closure than the ones I normally talk about, but a case that is just as open as the others. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Shades of Crime. Our theme music is by Shuli Musso. This episode was written and researched by me. The sources for this episode and all of our other episodes can be found on our blog, www.shadesofcrime.ca. Shades of Crime can be found on almost any platform where you listen to your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram at Shades of Crime Podcast. If you like what you hear, could you please rate and review Shades of Crime on Apple Podcasts? It's a fantastic way to get the word out about this show. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or if you would like to request a case, email us at shadesofcrime at gmail.com. That's all for this week, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.